You're listening to Alumni Allowed, a new podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career and the advice they would give current students. This series is sponsored by the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development at the Graduate Center. I'm Anders Wallace, a PhD candidate in the Anthropology program at the Graduate Center. In this episode, I sit down with Yoni Reinberg, co-founder, lead developer, and chief technology officer of Socialink, a web design company for nonprofits and small businesses based in downtown Brooklyn. Yoni earned his PhD in anthropology at the GC. In this episode, I sit down with Yoni to discuss his experiences as an engineer and creative entrepreneur in tech, his love and frustrations with academia, and the ways his PhD helps him develop user-centered and socially engaged technology solutions for his clients. I met up with Yoni in the Social Link offices in downtown Brooklyn on a sunny day in the fall of 2017. My name is Yoni Reinberg, and um, I am the founding partner and lead developer at Social Inc., a web development and design studio in Brooklyn. Can you tell me a bit about how you came to do this work that you're in? Sure. I, uh, I always, when I was growing up, I had a kind of computer science background, I was interested in computers, in information systems, and things like that. When I went to school, and then graduate school, I gravitated towards the social science and humanities. I found that more satisfying, and more interesting and complicated than the closed world of computers. But I kept involved and stayed on the pulse of new languages and new protocols about internet and so on, and also the um, the political nature of the co- copyright, of piracy, of digital rights, civil liberties online, things like that. During grad school, I started doing this work uh, kind of freelance because I was working for nonprofits and places that. I ended up doing this nature of work, and I started to do freelance web development, web design, mm. just posted on Craigslist and uh, emailed to some friends who had a connection to do a website, made side money while I was teaching and doing school, and then um, as I entered my writing phase and my after I came back from field work, I decided that um, with my partner here, Matt, that he was doing similar things, we decided to joint forces, started an actual company, very little overhead, you know, you have to file a doing business as, you have to do a few legal things, mm-hmm. open a banking company, there's very little overhead, so there's not much to lose, and we just joined forces, joined our email list, blasted our email lists, and through a few word of mouth and snowball um, recommendations and things like that, we, the two of us kind of started having it be our main job, especially mm-hmm. as I was writing up and couldn't couldn't teach and I had eyes. I didn't really have time to do that. Um, I, and also the brain capacity. That's like the origin story. Mm-hmm. Then we moved first, we were at coffee shops, then we had a small office elsewhere, then we had a small office here, medium office, and now I think I consider that a large ish office, not yeah. large, but uh, spacious and a lot of natural light, which I keep mentioning, which I love. When you were younger, you enjoyed tech, you enjoyed learning how to code. And that was a hobby since you were a kid, it yes. sounds like? Yeah. And for undergrad, did you pursue that? As you said, you studied social sciences. For undergrad, no, I took some math courses because I was interested in it, and some computer science courses, but they were so um, enclosed. By that I mean both what you did was 
within one machine and one computer. And the class and the nature of speaking about it was very much about uh, the product and the material thing that you're doing rather than the larger computing world and then by extension the world and politics in those domains. You did a degree in anthropology. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little more about your academic journey. Right, so in undergraduate, I did some math, some science, and mostly history, and actually Jewish studies. Then I worked for a few years, and I entered grad school. I went to the new school. I got a master's there. I entered there for historical studies, but took some anthropology classes, and was really into it, loved its kind of uh, holistic worldview, its taking history and economic practices and social practices, everything that we know and love, and I ended up being an anthropology master's there. I wanted to stay in New York and continue my doctorate, and I applied a few places, got in one of them, got rejected from a couple others, and CUNY had not just a good package for me, but also I just liked the idea of joining CUNY in the City College, and so I came in as an anthropology to the anthropology PhD program at CUNY. You had some coding skills, Mm -hmm. and then you went through the program and charted a bit more of the... The end of that. In some ways, it's not that deep. I had a skill yeah. that was marketable, and I, that was nice for me. Other ways, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoy, I enjoy how coding breaks down logic, and I enjoy how uh, you can really play with the ways of the machines that we use every day. And I was anyway involved in online development of code for open source projects and things like that. So to do it in a business way and to, to pull me into that was a pretty natural extension. And my anthropology, as I got towards my dissertation topic, was really about technology and the way technology uh, intervenes in our political worlds and things like that became a major focus. So it kind of always went hand in hand my business and my coding and my academic pursuits. Just so the audience knows, what was your dissertation about very loosely? My dissertation was about piracy and specifically uh, piracy in Brazil. And when I say piracy, I mean both intellectual property piracy and uh, piracy on the streets, so selling DVDs. Mm-hmm. And um, in both cases, my ethnography was about people who pirate, also about the consumers, but a little bit less, but about what piracy means both historically and today in terms of taking things that are in the private sphere and making them public. If I, if I, had, to do it, if I had to do it now and rejoin academia, I would write about how I, I feel like that is the precursor to what now is kind of called disruption and all of these buzzwords. And pirates are also disruptors, but they weren't named as such and they're not prized, whereas capitalism prized one kind of disruption and not another. Let's say, what is a typical day like in the office for you? Typical day in the office can be very mundane and boring. Come in and start work, do email, work on projects. What I like is because I'm both the you know, a partner and a worker is that I get to both just be for hours in code if I want to, but then there's also administrative tasks like making phone calls, meeting new clients, checking in with old clients about problems, solving security issues or hacks that people may have happened overnight or the weekend, which is happening more and more frequently, so I'm kind of the point person within Social Inc. I'm kind of the point person to fix or try to remedy intrusions and hacks and 
restore backups and things like that. Wow. So kind of exercises a lot of my skills. Any day can be random on that, and some days are incredibly boring and just doing paperwork and things like that. Oh, right, right. And what do you enjoy the most about your work or find the most rewarding? I really like talking to clients and to explaining, to try to communicate the web and technologies in a layperson's way. That's really enjoyable when that happens. That's not every day. And I also really enjoy coding, really sophisticated coding problems, finding solutions for bugs and things like that. So the problem solving, but also communicating with clients, explaining how it works and what it can do for them. Right. So what do you find the most challenging? Most challenging or frustrating is the undervaluing, I think, of the time in the tech world that it takes to do something. I think a lot of people are under the impression that because something is a lot of white space with a little bit of clean text, that it is clean and simple and takes a fraction of the time to do something that's more colorful. That's like that's a you know reductive example, but I think that I don't argue. I think tech people are paid well in general, and the tech industry, especially in Silicon Valley, is incredibly overinflated, and money is obscene. But I think that actually, when it comes to day to day, people don't understand that the labor involved in the expertise of knowing how to put something together, um, the hours and the amount of time it takes to do that, which to the end user, to you on your phone or on your computer, looks like nothing, like like what you're used to, like a click that does something. Often you tell me that one thing is wrong, and I know that I see that there are other things wrong, and. Uh, it's tough for me sometimes to explain, to express to people that the, these things should be fixed as well right. when they don't see it, similar yeah. to a car mechanic uh, in, in that. So that could be frustrating if clients don't want to do it, you right. just have to deal with what they right. want then. Right. But also satisfying when you're, like you said, you enjoy translating the problem into layman's language. Right, exactly. So there's both sides. It can be very, very anxiety-inducing and also rewarding. Just dealing with people always then. Yeah. yeah, people with the purse strings. Did you ever see yourself in academia, or did you always know that you would transition out of academia? No, I saw myself in academia, and I applied to jobs as I was writing up. I don't love the tech world as probably is coming out so far. I think the money is obscene, and the way that it hides politics and obscures the social relations is really negative for me in many ways. But on the other hand, I get to own and my time, and that was to me the biggest thing. When I was applying for jobs, they were either in places that I didn't want to live, in uh, small towns in the middle of nowhere. And God bless people who do that. I'm not against any of that. Those can be really rewarding. But I didn't want to do that, or, and I didn't want to get paid very little for, as you know, seven years of work, seven plus years of work, yeah. of studying, teaching, right, all that, and then you are severely underpaid and can barely afford to live. So yes, I saw myself, I wanted to, I, I from time to time I kind of did my finger in applying for adjunct stuff somewhere around Brooklyn so that I can exercise that part of my mind, but yeah, it just didn't work out financially, you know, kind of yeah. life-wise. I think a lot of people can relate to that. So was there a particular turning point, or was it a more of a gradual realization decision over time? More gradual. I was lucky enough that I could continue to do a mild job hunt and a mild uh, keep in touch as I, as I groom at the business and as, as I continued to work. So I never had to sacrifice one thing for another or mm -hmm. jump into one thing or another. So 
in the end, nothing really panned out in academia. I didn't, I didn't look that much, and I didn't have energy to look that much more, and so this grew enough that I didn't really need to do that. Because at the beginning, it was a little it was smaller, as, as I mentioned. And yeah, I, I really wanted to live in a big city. Was it a hard decision, or it just felt natural? It felt natural in the day-to-day, -day, but I, it felt sad that you invest that much in one thing, and then you don't pursue it. But I don't have any regrets if it doesn't ever happen, you know, it's a great part of my life, the community was incredible, and the people, so it's not really a either or in that way. How has finishing your PhD benefited you in your career? The PhD itself, sometimes it comes up on the website, it's nice to say that I have my, dis I have my doctorate degree in technology and, uh, you know, and culture, <laughs> and, uh, whatever, I don't remember the bio that I have exactly, but something like that, and that I think is attractive to people, clients, or colleagues, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the doctor itself, I did the top two things that I would, that offhand I would say is the problem solving and the close reading mm. that comes out of a doctorate, that thinking about a subject as always in conversation, reading who said it, who, who she was saying it to, who they were saying it back to, and that kind of locating something. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that works, and then, you know, looking at the who said it, why they said it, the politics, that, that works very, it translates very well into the tech world, and okay. helps. And then also, I think, I think, aside from the actual PhD, teaching was incredible, and, and so many skills from teaching, and skills from teaching are incredible. Yeah. Priceless, yeah, for, for, for talking to clients, for explaining, for thinking about how you might explain something to a, somebody who's not conversant with all the literature around it and so on. Yeah, so that's a couple things that are really beneficial. The first thing you said was that having a PhD in, as you said, tech and also cultural issues that people feel attracted to that, they say, oh, this is nice that you have that experience. Can you go into that just a little more? Is what, what is it that you think that they appreciate or feel comfortable about that? Good question. There's a lot of web developers out there. There's a lot of great ones. It's a crowded field to some extent. There's also so much need that even though it's a crowded field, there is a lot of work. So I think one of the things that is appealing about that when they see is that they, um, that they realize that uh, but that, that commit, my commitment isn't just to the actual completion of task A, B, and C. It's an understanding of how task A, B, and C are connected, how they're connected to a larger web ecosystem and the internet ecosystem, and what's now called UX and UI, um, user interface and user experience. Before we had those words kind of really concretized, the feeling around them was what I think a lot of comes out of anthropology and, and, and a lot of what I study, which is how people use technology, how technology uh, uses them, what are our frustrations with technology, why we are frustrated by this, why don't we care about that. I think I'm able to speak to that and having a degree both as a credential but also as a study is appealing, puts people at ease. And, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think a lot of people, even who are not anthropologists, but in other humanities or social sciences or other fields, could relate to that benefit that if they transition out of academia, you bring a perspective, a more holistic view. What is technology useful for? Who's using it? Why? So that you don't get stuck in some certain paradigms of 
tech or development that are not serving the end user. Right, and, that, and that's a stereotype I think about a lot of developers who are excellent and much more talented than a lot of people, especially engineers and coders, which is more my skill set than a designer and aesthetic uh, creative sense. And those people tend to not pay attention to that so much because the logic takes over, this should be like this, and this ought to behave like that. And Life is messy and complicated and full of histories and different subjects. All the things that we study, anthropology and other, other humanities social sciences as well, but anthropology, I think, really emphasizes that yeah. the way things are are not just so stories. They come from people doing their own thing. Uh, are there things that you would recommend that you see students who might think of transitioning out of academia would cultivate or could stand to benefit from learning uh, while they're graduate students? During the dissertation writing phase, in many ways, dissertation especially, but other master's theses, or in general capstones of some kind, encourage you to uh, be in a room alone at a desk, studying, getting deep into something, and that precludes you from doing what I would recommend, which is in getting to know people outside school, going to events, and the odious term networking, which, you know, if you look at it as, as not networking the capital N, but as the potentially meeting colleagues, getting what you can, seeing people for what they, for what they do and then going home later, mm. um, it's a really nice thing, right? And uh, yeah. so I, I, that's a cliche, but that's, I think that contradiction is weird because you're encouraged to not do that for those to really become a scholar. Because I think that also what you get out of it is not just um, meeting people, but you understand, you can understand that if you meet three people and they all speak offhand about something that they're missing or needing or whatever, or that is missing, you might be able to insert yourself in that conversation or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's really nice. In general, I like meeting people. That's a nice way of putting it too, that meeting people, so-called networking, the function and what it does. And- the way it lets you experience other people's experience. You can put yourself in other people's shoes, see how that feels like trying on a certain outfit. Right. Does that person's job or whatever they do feel good to me? Is that something that I relate to? Right. Can help you build those bridges to what could be your future job, even if it's not that thing, but something related. And I, I think that what you study can be really good if you don't want to stay in academia. Mm-hmm. What you study is really good for what you might work in the future if you study wine-growing social practices, why not go into wine-growing, or at least something in the industry where you can say, I'm really expert at how a hundred farms in Georgia grow wine, and then maybe maybe I could help you think about market yourself if you want that, or I could help you think about how you can you know, get a cooperative wine growers. I feel like not enough people use this amazing specialized knowledge that they have. Yeah, there's a lot of angles. So for people to think, again, holistically about what they do, right. what skills and knowledge they've gained. So what do you know now that you wish you'd known as a graduate student? I wish that I knew, but I think that it might have been out there about the job market and about the amount of energy that you need to expend to be a marketable candidate. And then if you're hired, what you have to do after the publishing and the labor that you're expending. Because for me, it was more about the pursuit of the pursuit of knowledge, and I was interested in taking. And again, because CUNY was relatively affordable, and I got um, 
a scholarship for teaching and exchange for teaching, yeah. and I wasn't taking on a lot of debt, and I, was, I had enough money at the time in Brooklyn, it was still pretty cheap when I got my apartment. And so I was able to live very frugally as a student without going into deep debt, without needing to say, oh my god, I need to put food on the table, I don't have a family. I also guess that I wish I'd known more how much people inside academia don't realize. It's professors who are wonderful, warm, I was always treated with all warmth, generosity, but who don't, who for them it's an inevitability that when you enter, you exit into academia with a job, maybe if not waiting, with a, a you know, jobs out there. But the discourse around it was, yeah, again, had that air of inevitability, which is just not true. It is hard to find some place that you fit. You don't feel soul crushed while you're working. And I feel that I can even, you can actually feel, that's part of its allure, right? You feel like you can be doing good while working if you get a good job, right? I, I know the allure of wanting to stay in school because you think that outside it's tough and people are cutthroat and whatever, um, and you have to dress up. But there's a life out there. It it's also can be nice. Has that borne out to be true in what you see of the, the world that you're in? Yes, it, it is borne out. Specifically in tech, I think there's right now the, you know, there's a few major ways you can work in tech. Right? There's, you can do IT and do networking and things like that, if that's your talent. You could do more of the creative, so that's web development and app development and things like that. Or you could do the more startup, which is really, that's actually app probably belongs in there, but you can do the, that kind of development that's really about putting in tons of hours and getting some app that does X or Y, yeah. um, rather, and working for a company. And in that world, I see a lot of cutthroat and a lot of yeah. broken hearts. And there you see a lot more of the kind of H1B abuse and wage theft and there are people trying to unionize people in Silicon Valley, workers in Silicon things like that. So there are, things are moving around there. But in that world, they do see a lot more cutthroat. In my world, it seems to be dominated by people who are more comfortable with a work-life balance. I see a lot less of it. So for people to know what kind of company they're getting into when they jump in. That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Yoni for taking the time to share his insights and reflections on his career journey with our listeners. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Aloud, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also, check out our Facebook, Twitter, or website for event announcements and updates from our office. Thanks for listening and see you next time.